Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Elif Yalvach, born and raised in Turkey, presently based in southern England. Elif's new album, Green Drift, is out now on Expert Sleepers. At the centre of this album is a series of improvisations with Andrew Osler of Dark Room for modular synthesizer, guitar and bass clarinet. And then these improvisations were subsequently edited after the fact and produced into the compositions that you hear on this record. Elif's guitar tone sounds to me like the hem of a curtain in a draft. kind of flutters around the edge of the frame. This beautiful shoegazing influence which causes it to plume in all different directions. The bass clarinets are such an unusual and really compelling inclusion as well on this record, providing a lot of these snaking low to mid frequency hums that encircle the guitar. You get these electronics as well, which suddenly engulf what's happening from the more organic, let's say, instrumentation, these sudden gnashing bursts of synthesizer. It's really, really great. I love this record. And it was really cool to speak to Elif about the creation of it in the first part of this interview. And then I really hope this doesn't sound reductive. It's not intended to do so. But Elif picked three records, which feel like a really perfect triangulation of the new record Green Drift 2. You can totally see the points of intersection with what Elif is doing with all three of these. So it was a great chat. I've been in touch with Elif for a few years now. It was wicked to finally to speak for the podcast. So hope you enjoy it. You can support Crucial Listening over at coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening either one-off for a monthly donation to help support the outgoings involved in the podcast in terms of hosting costs and the energy expended putting the podcast together. Feel free to leave ratings and reviews and all that goodness. Otherwise, thank you for listening as always. Head over to Attention Magazine or the show notes in your podcast app for all the links. And please enjoy this conversation with Elif Yalvach on Crucial Listening. Hello, Elif. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello, Jack. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So you're here to talk about your three important albums. Before we get to that, I want to talk about your new album, Green Drift, which came out recently on Expert Sleepers. So 
I understand that at the center of this one are a series of improvisations between yourself and Andrew Osler recorded back in April. Yeah. So firstly, I'd like to know how did those sessions play out? How did you set everything up? What are your memories of them? Yeah, take me into those sessions a little bit. So I have been connected with uh, Andrew Osler, or Oz, since 2016. And we first connected uh, when um, they invited me to the UK as Darkroom, uh, his duo project, to perform together. And that collaboration has continued ever since. But mostly it was, uh, you know happening in by being in different places i was based in turkey most of the time other than occasionally visiting the uk but this year uh, it was different because we uh, were in the same place to do this recording and this happens after i moved to the uk last year mm. and uh, i was invited to edinburgh napier university to give a workshop on uh, um, my uh, music-related master thesis. And we used that opportunity to get into the studio, which we did before when I worked with them as Darkroom. And basically our setup was uh, us playing the bass clarinet, me playing my electric guitar and uniting our forces on Ableton Live. And also using the very modular, uh, very expert sleepers modular synths uh, <laughs> modules he produces in that very room where the magic happens. Oh, so, cool. <laughs> so we had some uh, uh, fun, long recording session. And then um, the initial idea would be to use two parts, two 20 to 30 minutes parts from, you know, these recordings. But then I suggested something else. And when I got back to my studio, I decided to work with each and every stem and while keeping some of the improvisational parts untouched, which came out very good, I also decided to do my own edits, but still by using the sounds we created in that room. So that's how it came out. <laughs> I'm always really interested to hear when people have this process of, say, taking long improvisations and making them into structured pieces because it's such a piece of wizardry from my side I, I I really marvel at it because you listen to your record and you don't think for a second I don't know that it's been kind of chopped up and rearranged like it has such a definitive sense of chronology and unfolding of its own accord it doesn't feel like it's been kind of meddled with so what does that process look like to I mean I understand as well you and uh, Andrew were maybe back and forth over over several weeks talking about the record kind of after those sessions. So what did that process look like after that point? Yeah, I mean, uh, the good point is uh, I and uh, all tend to really like the same things and right. create similar <laughs> things. However, we also have very different approaches too sometimes mm. in life or in the way we do th things. And that's the uh, power. Otherwise, if we just, you know, follow the, the things that we both uh, like, it would be dull. Uh, so we also got some input from Michael Bear Park, who is the other half of Dark Room, or this duo, and they have been working together for many, many years. They've released uh, lots of ambient uh, works, they did performances for many years. And my Michael also uh, mastered uh, two of my albums, including mm. my previous uh, records with NNA tapes, 
mountains become stepping stones. So he has a, a lot of perspective uh, that I uh, trust and value when it comes to the post-production process. Actually, I would call it post-production just right. like in, in films. And that's yeah. why we call, we call him the Morley-tron in the album. Uh, like <laughs> our know-how instruments because he, he, he gives you the kind of feedback that would really uh, help you find that missing piece in that puzzle. Mm. Uh, and yeah, there was some back and forth writing and messaging with us, but mostly it was about the technical things to sort out rather than the compositional parts. Because when I uh, sent him out what I created, he just said, I love it. We're just our <laughs> 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 sleepers. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and uh, then we completed it with, uh, you know, Mike's input also. And uh, also, he makes some great uh, suggestions when, when I come up with uh, names for the pieces, song titles. Because we were connected very well and he knows uh, my story, where I was, where I am, where I want to be, etc. Yeah. I mean, the track titles is actually something that I wanted to ask you about because that's something that, along with the sounds, kind of played into the way that I interpreted this record, coupled with also the text that accompanies the record so understand a big part of the background of this record and its inspiration is about green spaces within edinburgh and also where you are in the south of england but there is also within the track titles the presence of say like architecture you've got garden city and green cathedral also grey space as well there's almost from my side this sense of battle between the green space and you know the the takeover maybe from artificial i don't know concrete buildings architecture mm -hmm. and within sound as well you get these moments where the whole thing is subsumed by these really uh wonderfully bright and angular synthesizer textures um so that's how it all kind of played in for me with the track titles and also the sound of it but yeah i wonder if you could tell me a bit about the track titles and how they interrelate mm -hmm. with the concept of of the record as well the the inspiration behind it actually uh, totally unbiased I, I i love reading your reviews and it felt like reading one of your <laughs> <laughs> reviews at the moment <laughs> because uh, I, I wouldn't be able to put it that way the architectural connection and reference actually uh, was not uh, intentional in the beginning but it's just how it turned out to be but there is a focus on the space and being mm. somewhere indeed uh, i i really appreciate your uh, input in it because it's a uh, it's something I didn't think about before. So, oh, cool. uh, so, so there are obvious names of places that really exist, like Green Drift is a street nearby where I walk my dog Ziggy, who is my shadow dog sometimes. <laughs> right. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> and when he is the guard dog, uh, he uh, makes the most interesting sounds. So my modular was, not my modular, also an uh, expert sleepers modular, was in a way recreating those kinds of sounds. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. So Morningside is a, uh, is a neighborhood in Edinburgh itself. And when it comes to these spaces, again, uh, gray space uh, is actually about something very real, again, there was this arts gallery that we performed in, in Edinburgh, wave, uh, wave table events. 
um, it's called White Space Arts Gallery, and there is the monthly event called Wavetable Aussie Ranges, and that's where I performed um, with him also. But there is the white and black concept, uh, black and white concept that I want to avoid in life, and I try to explore the gray area. So that mm. refers to that in a way, both the gallery, but also being in the middle or trying to defy the or approach, but instead having the end approach. Mm. Uh, garden cities are reference to many garden cities here, including Letchford Garden City, which is not far from me and where Oz was Oz used to be based in before they moved to Edinburgh. And that's where we met uh, f uh, to create music when I first moved, uh, sorry, when I first uh, visited the UK. Green Cathedral is a uh, really, uh, I see it's a, it's a spiritual reference to this uh, very green, um, well looked after woods nearby me. And sometimes I couldn't get into those spaces when I was stuck in Turkey. Right, so right. I was imagining them inside me and reconnecting. But then after moving in here, I uh, reconnected in a stronger way. So basically, uh, it is about my experiences and interpretations of these places I've been to or I am around. And there is a lighter uh, sound uh, in this album in that sense because in the previous album I was indeed stuck in a place when I was finalizing it but <laughs> right, in this yeah. one I wasn't so there's a transition into that also amazing I love getting that account thank you so much for that I mean as I've said to you sort of separately to this I love the record it's awesome I've had some really special experiences with this one already so I do implore people to go and check it out I will put links in the show notes so you can do so. Um, Thank you. I believe we should talk about your three important records. And one question I like to ask before we go into the actual records themselves is about how you ended up picking this list and specifically the definition you used of the term important. So was there a way that you understood that word in order to come up with the list of three records that you did? Uh Initially, it felt like a tough choice, mm. but later I realized, no, it's not <laughs> right. a tough choice. Because it's actually what we were talking about just now, like gray space. <laughs> it's not like the most important or most something. It is important. So, mm -hmm. And the way I approach that word is definitely about seeing some albums in a valuable way, you know, their value, their influence on your music, the space in their, in your life, that might be your daily life, that might be your past life, um, or your most recent life events, which albums I interacted with the most in the past 10 years, which albums, which artists uh, have uh, been in, uh, influencing my, my uh, most recent records, because there are lots of albums that I uh, keep looping, maybe more than uh, I loop these three albums. But mm. when, I, when I analyze the influence uh, on Green Drift, I can't list all of those albums. So importance for me is also the inspiration these albums created for me, for when I make my own music, how they influenced me in the spaces I was and I am in, in a way they 
can be associated with those very spaces while still sustaining their very own autonomous uh, musical existence. So mm. that's how I approach them. What an answer. That's great. Thank you for that. So we'll take them in any order you think makes the most sense. So which one do you want to talk about first? Well, the order is not, you know, um, very important at the moment. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> but they are important. All of them are important. <laughs> yeah, we can start with actually Help Me help me Do It Again by Tim Hacker. Mm, yeah, cool. Okay, so maybe start by giving me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you. So that's uh, Tim Hacker's uh, first uh, album. And I discovered it, um, well, when I was delving into more of the experimental electronic music before I started to study Sonic Arts, which was around 2015. Mm. And it was a journey of research, but also being mesmerized by some sounds because up until then I was listening to more of uh, noise rock or prog rock bands and still exploring the electronics area but but I wanted to hear some non-traditional sounds so it coincides with that time when I was delving into Ports of Canada, Otaker, FX, etc. but also in the more abstract electronic musics uh, music albums and that was one of the things that came up then and I've listened to it uh, ever since but also I associate this album with some of my best memories uh, and in the best places in Iceland uh, I've been to Iceland a number of times and that was before the pandemic and that was my breeding space I traveled from Turkey to Iceland to make music but also to see the places I always dreamt of seeing. And always uh, this music just was fitting very well uh, when I was boarding the uh, flight, when I was seeing big mountains or <laughs> or the northern lights, because the titles also suggest some of that. I mean, I, I, I have to be honest, to be frank, I don't pay much attention to lyrics or song uh, titles. My key focus is usually the music itself. And I hadn't paid that much attention to this <laughs> album titles, uh, the song titles, but I was always th imagining this album in that kind of setting, being in a remote place, which looks like from, uh, which looks like somewhere out of this planet, but still in this planet. Mm. And but then I found out some of the song titles have uh, references to Northern Lights or uh, the Arctic Lovers Rock or something like that. Right, you know? right, yeah. So, Wow. Then it, then it, uh, then I uh, happened to appreciate it even more because the artist himself seems to have been influenced by that place a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very important album for uh, because uh, it's it's associated with an important place for me. You mentioned as well that these maybe have some kind of input into maybe not all of them so i'm intrigued as to whether or not this is true for this one but some input into the music that you make as well i mean do you feel the presence of this record as like an influence or a touch point for the music that you've made as well yes that's uh, one of the key reasons uh, i decided to list it so uh, one of the biggest influences uh, for me is so this is abstract electronic music uh, but what you hear in it uh, is also something 
someone else who is not delving into experimental music may also appreciate. Mm-hmm. So it has that kind of uh, beauty in it. It is very beautifully uh, made. And the instruments uh, used, like the guitar and piano, they sound, sometimes you hear glimpses of them, but <laughs> then other times they are processed so heavily that they uh, become another thing, just like what Fenens does with uh, his electric guitar. And mm. that's always something that inspired me a lot with electric guitar. It's such a versatile instrument and it can become a really sophisticated, beautiful tool. So uh, as far as I know, uh, this album has use of pianos and guitars, but also Tim Hacker uses uh, pedals uh, in his setup a lot. So you can hear how beautifully they are crafted uh, in this album uh, to create both the ambient uh, sounds, but also the glitches, which Mm. uh, make up a great layer altogether. Uh, with also techniques like granular uh, synthesis or heavy processing uh, of um, tools. Um, That's something I also tend to use in my music. And this is a great example to take as a reference if you want to create music like ambient music with glitch in it. For sure. Is this the first Tim Hacker record that you discovered when you were on that journey delving into more alternate stuff i don't fully remember to be honest but rave death 1972 was a more popular album and it's a very beautiful album itself also i saw uh, that one suggested more but my attention uh, what, what drew my attention was help me help me do it again so that was the oh. first uh, introduction, the uh, proper introduction to his music for me. That's really interesting because I was really excited that you picked this one because I've been listening to Tim Hecker's music for many years. I think since Harmony and Ultraviolet came out and I've travelled forward and listened to every record he's put out since but I've never traveled back for some reason so I'd never heard this one and I was really struck by mm-hmm. how I think how close like how proximal this one feels it feels like a, a much more the record of an individual I think as opposed to something like Virgins which feels mm-hmm. like the work of more than a single human being it's absolutely massive so yeah, is there something about the aesthetic of Haunt Me, Haunt Me Do It Again that makes it protrude amongst Tim's works for you as the important record? I mean, you've mentioned it in reference also as well to, to Rave Death, but yeah, this felt to me like an unusual one within his catalogue, at least from my experience. But yeah, what made it stick out for you? Yeah. First of all, the pieces connect, uh, connect with each other very well. They sound different, uh, even the part one, part two, part three uh, options uh, uh, share similarities, but also differences. Mm. Uh, it's just like the concept albums uh, created by mostly prog rock bands. Uh, but um, <laughs> this is the ambient take on it. And it's very well uh, c- composed and connected. But also 
the music really fits with uh, what's, uh, what it says in the title or uh, the remote places. It mm. gives you that kind of uh, focus. It has a meditative uh, power in it. And especially if you are someone that cannot focus easily and uh, distracted and trying to do multiple things and then forgetting about the other, meditation may not be the easiest thing for you. But when I listen <laughs> yeah. to this record, I, I, I have full focus on it. And it's difficult to choose uh, one piece as the best example. All of them sound more beautiful than the others. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what I can say about it. Have you seen... Tim perform live? Well, he was in Istanbul, but I was not. <laughs> oh, <performed>. no. <laughs> yeah. No, I did not. Such a shame, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hopefully a time will come. I'm sure he's due to tour soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the watch. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely going to see it. And you mentioned as well that this record brings you back to particular memories. You mentioned being in Iceland. Is there anywhere else this record takes you back to as well in terms of particular places or times it's usually the nordic uh, countries for me <laughs> it reminds me beautiful winter sunsets but also uh, when i saw the northern lights uh, in a very strong way i decided to play night flight to your heart from this album mm. while watching the uh, aurora borealis oh, uh, magic. So that's what uh, it takes me to, mostly. That is amazing. Wow, what a memory. Yeah. Uh, is that the, when you were cycling beneath them? I heard you talk about that. Or is that a different time? Uh, yeah. um, I think it was when I did the cycling. But I, I, <laughs> I, I, I was very lucky to see them a number of times, but two of them being very strong. <laughs> Alif, let's go to your second important record now. So which one do you want to talk about? Uh, Tangerine Dream Rubicon. <laughs> nice. Cool. Yeah. So give me a little introduction as to why this one is important to you. So it's my personal experience and memories, but also uh, Tangerine Dream being one of the most influential uh, bands we ever had in the world. So... <laughs> Much respect. <laughs> <laughs> so Rubicon, I remember the very first time I listened to Rubicon. I was here in the UK for the first time in 2016. And Mike was going to introduce me to Oz in Letchworth. And that would be our first uh, get together before we did our very first gig and to start to collaborate. And well, we were finding icebreakers like watching 2001 as space so, <laughs> so imagine the geekiness level in that room. <laughs> oh, I love and it. Before, before watching the film, we had dinner and in the background, Rubicon was playing. 
<laughs> so oh. I almost chose that album and it was mesmerizing for me. Um, well, I was already enjoying Sam Faidra uh, before I uh, delved into Rubicon. You know, they are very well connected albums, but I um, then came to uh, appreciate Rubicon even more for my mm. own uh, musical journey. So. This album is very much an English experience for me. It's a German-made album, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, that, that's the memory. And in addition to that, it's a great symbol uh, for the Berlin School, that style of electronic music. I studied that extensively, uh, starting from the Cullen Electronic Music Studio, you know, with the uh, composers such as the uh, pioneer electronic music composers such as Karl Heinz Stockhausen, but also after I watched this BBC documentary called Crow Truck, The Rebirth of Germany, I came to appreciate uh, the music uh, scene in Germany that uh, developed after World War II mm. uh, with artists such as Kahn, Neu, Rudelius and Tangerine Dream. So that's a very good symbol. Uh, this album is a very good symbol of that um, movement, but also for the sequencer-based uh, synthesizer music from uh, Berlin. Um, so technically, also, it has much value for me. You said you studied the Berlin School. Um, was that like a, a, a choice that you led with on your part, or did it come up in, say, the syllabus? Or how did you come to study it so extensively? So Cosmische music didn't wasn't part of the, the syllabus, but I did have electronic music history uh, courses, uh, mm. which mainly focused upon the 50s and 60s electronic music studios that were opening around the world, including the Paris studio, Cullen studio, or BBC Radiophonic Workshop, or the studio in Japan and the USA, etc., so that was part of the uh, study, but also something that I became so curious with that I just wanted to go beyond the books or articles they uh, asked us to read. <laughs> uh, so I spent uh, a long time um, just appreciating how those people created what they could create with the technology they had, which was much more limited than what we have at the moment. Mm. And as for the Berlin School, I appreciate it more after I watched that documentary I just told you about because those people were creating something uh, out of a wreck, you know, yeah, out yeah. of war. And uh, at the time, prog rock was rising in the UK, whereas in Germany this was happening. I appreciate both, actually, but I used to listen to prog rock bands a lot more. But, but after I found out about Crow Rock, I think I connected deeply, more deeply uh, in a, on a deeper level with uh, that school mm. uh, that's the thing that inspires my music much more especially the uh, upcoming album I, uh, I'll list also I think has that influence where you make use of simple things and create some madness with them <laughs> that can be <laughs> noise or pedals that make the sounds blurry or just the uh, looping patterns uh, of weird sounds that you still want to dance to. Mm. Examples like this. Or sometimes much deeper ambient drones. Yeah. Like 
So I, I'm getting a good idea of why this one made the list, right? I was going to ask, you know, out of I get the impression that you're you know, big into Krautrock, uh, but you have the personal memory for this one. Uh, you have like specific means by which it's like has an imprint on your music. What is it musically about Rubicon that edges it above maybe some of the other records that you could have picked for this list? It's hauntingly beautiful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When you when you listen to the intro to both part one and both part one and uh, part two, it's a big sonic universe. But also, what it evolves into is something really different. It doesn't stay on the drony ambient uh, layer all the time, and it's uh, it evolves very gradually into what it becomes. Uh, the scenes and the layers in it are like uh, crafted like a beautiful uh, artwork and. Mm. And one of the things that makes it so beautiful is the, um, what was this synth called? EMS, uh, VCS3 synthesizer, and also Millotrons. Um, we were talking about prog rock versus growth rock. So you can hear lots of Millotron in, um, you know, King Crimson or yeah. other uh, Prograg uh, pioneers. Although King Crimson goes well beyond Prograg, I think I, I I could have chosen an album from them too. By the way, having said that, Mellotron, when it is used this way, uh, as in Rubicon, with uh, beautiful vocal-like drones combined with other layers, I think uh, it becomes a very distinct, beautiful uh, sound, and that makes it Tangerine Dream. So. It's a very Tangerine Dream sound. For me, that's the sound of Tangerine Dream. And that, this album uh, represents it um, very well. And then you have the sequencers, uh, which you can hear in uh, Tumulus uh, in my album, Green Drift. Uh, mm. with the modular synths, expert sleepers uh, modules we uh, created. And the approach there is very much inspired by this album, starting with uh, drones and other gameplay i call it gameplay like uh, the dialogue between the guitar and bass clarinet nice which then resolves into a modular sequence uh, mayhem that you also hear in this very beautiful album yeah that's great i mean that was certainly the most immediate affinity i felt between this record and and yours i mean one thing really striking i think you mentioned it there but the structure of both sides is kind of similar they they almost become variations on a theme right where you have this yeah very spatial kind of ambiguous beginning that in both cases ends up on the rails of these pulsating arpeggiating synthesizers which yeah it's really striking you end up in the same kind of terrain on the second side and you're like oh we're you know we're in this kind of space again it's really cool how it's structured like that. Okay. I, yeah. I, I agree 100%. And the part two, it indeed is like a variation uh, on the same theme, but part two has the darker uh, intro. Uh, yes. Yeah. Word darker, uh, dark works there, I'm not sure, but uh, my point is uh, 
part one uh, is a nice introduction uh, to a beautiful, dreamy, sonic universe, whereas in part two, you get into the deeper rabbit hole parts, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You um, mentioned specific equipment as well that they use uh, on this record and how that also had its imprint upon you. Are you someone who, with creating your own music, uh, get attached to particular hardware, particular synths, Mm-hmm. You know, is that is that something you do? I, you know, I know some people, for example, it's kind of they don't have like a lot of connection to particular pieces of gear. But yeah, what's your relationship with that kind of thing? Uh, thanks for asking that question. Uh, no, I'm not that person, by the way. <laughs> All right, gotcha. <laughs> but I I uh, I do appreciate the um, historically important instruments and yeah. how uh, how distinctive. They, uh, their sounds were especially used by the masters. So that instrument, e- EMS VCS, is one of them. Just like Moog synthesizer being the magic element in Dark Side of the Moon, you know. Yes, um, of course. That's that way. But in my own uh, music, I uh, used mostly uh, my own software design tools on Max MSP or Ableton Live. Having said that, what I discovered. Uh, most recently, about my own musical uh, gear approach, it's been that I want to go more physical because in the pandemic, we already been too virtual and hmm. too digital for me. And I, I felt tired of dragging the patch cords on VCV rack uh, with a mouse, you know, with two right. fingers. Whereas in um, Expert Sleepers uh, Modular, <laughs> you, you it's like a... Like a physical exercise, or going out for a run in the woods, and then you get the runners high, <laughs> like yeah. you know, connecting more and more uh, effects and units. And then two hours pass, and then you you still didn't notice it. That's how it <laughs> was. But uh, if you start to use a modular synthesizer, you need to know what you really want to do because you may end up buying lots of modules, which is costly. Yes. And I think that's applicable to most of other uh, gear. So you need, really need to know what you want. Um, and I want to protect myself from becoming <laughs> that person, just fucking <laughs> up too many <laughs> pieces of hardware. So usually I keep myself very minimal, especially because when I do my concerts and gigs, I don't want to carry too many things. And I tend to easily forget things. So I uh, try to keep it uh, minimal (laughs) with a guitar. And my very own uh, small uh, handmade synthesizer, which I call the Freak Box. (laughs) Yeah, nice, nice. And and the Game Boy sometimes. Uh, That's it, uh, because uh, that gives you also a much better focus when you are in the studio or when you want to do a gig. Um, But definitely into the the delving deeper into the modular world at the moment <laughs> yeah nice nice yeah no i i spoken to people who are really into modular stuff and they talk about getting on that slippery slope of just wanting <laughs> to buy more and more modules and they kind of have that panic yeah. look in their eyes of they know they're doing it but they can't stop themselves um it seems really you know kind of addictive once you really get on 
the rails with that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, have you seen Tangerine Dream live? I did, yes. Oh, uh, cool. But not the original lineup, not with Edgar uh, Froese, uh, but with Ulrich Schnauz, who's also another influential artist for me. Nice. Uh, I could have well chosen an album from him, um, especially uh, because of his uh, shoegazy ambient approach to electronic music. So mm. I was very lucky because. I not only saw Tangerine Dream, but I also, uh, but also I was in the same festival with them. They oh, were the headliners. So cool. So that was in Iceland in 2019 in uh, Extreme Chill Festival, and in that gig they indeed played uh, things from Fire and Rubicon also. So th th those were my uh, top moments. <laughs> in the wow, gig. that's so cool. I mean, that's kind of a big thing when a band plays stuff from an album that you really hold dear yeah. to you was that a nice experience because sometimes i don't know it's so precious isn't it when you have a record that you hold that close to you that <laughs> do, do you want to hear it brought back up again so <laughs> actually that's a good question <laughs> how was it uh, it was magical. Uh, it's also because the venue was quite uh, very good in acoustics. Imagine a, a smaller version of Royal Albert Hall. Very right. smaller version, though. Right. <laughs> Icelandic version. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, and uh, they have some very nice uh, visuals uh, used in the gig that matched very well with the context. So I think it worked out uh, well uh, for me uh, when it came to those pieces. But I, I uh, uh, tend to avoid gigs with too many people. <laughs> I, I don't feel okay uh, when it is too crowded or uh, when it's, the band is very big. But this one was very well balanced for me in that sense. Yeah, I guess Iceland's a good place to see them for that <laughs> reason, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was an opportunity as part of the festival and I really appreciated it. I, I would have really liked it if I could have seen Edgar before he died, which is a shame. Yeah, was that 2015, 2016? Um, it, feels it feels like a recent event to me, but yeah. it was in 2015, yeah. yeah. Still yeah. feels like it's happened last year or something. There's right. so many valuable artists died the other year, I think. It was really good. So it's it's not the original members anymore, but I think they're doing the best they can. Okay, Elif, we've got one more record. So could you give me the name of your last important record? Beat <laughs> from Bowery Electric. Uh, yeah. I don't know if everybody would recognize this one. Because oh. this band doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I certainly did. So this record is incredible. Could you give me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you? 
when I delved into noise rock, um, I and also noise music or experimental electronics, I did appreciate uh, shoegazers also. So I'm using uh, an electric guitar. That's my main instrument. But when I use it, I use it with lots of processing and effects. And that's part of what shoegazers were doing. And you hear the blurry sounds. And that's how I discovered Bovary Electric. And I think their very first album is possibly a great example for uh, that. Uh, it's, I think it has the same name as the band. Hmm. But be it, the second album goes beyond that mere shoegaze, I think. I love shoegaze. But be, Beat uh, is a very unique uh, album. You, you wouldn't be able to easily associate it with one particular band. What one may say, okay, this, this is like um, part of uh, my Bloody Valentine combined with, um, you know, beautiful beats, uh, ambient beats from John Hopkins. And right. then he would also say, uh, there is also, a, this is a very noisy, uh, blurry sound, like uh, in an experimental rock band, like the Sonic Youth style. So you have all these combinations of beautiful things in it, uh, in, in one package. And it is very well balanced. It's not overdoing it. There are many beautiful elements combined in a very simplistic, minimal, beautiful way. And also, the people who created this album, uh, um, Bowery Electric, uh, they are still continuing to do awesome things in their own way, I think. And they did do uh, great contributions. So Lawrence Chandler, who started this, he did work with uh, he did work with Philip Glass with Paulina Luveros. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah, uh, in in the deep listening uh, workshop. Wow. Or he, he worked in an installation with um, Lamonte Young. And so here is someone who had access to these amazing minds and made the best use of his own skills, but also his inspirations from them. And you can hear that easily in the album Beat. So this is how also I get influenced and get inspired when I'm making my own music. And I did loop this album a lot in the pandemic. It helped me keep myself sane, especially the track Under the Sun, which is basically one bass line that keeps repeating uh, with a layer of droney, uh, vacuum-like noise and sound. <laughs> it's very beautiful. It's very simple, but it's very effective. Do you think there was any particular reason why you gravitated towards this record in the pandemic? Like, what was it about it that you found grounding, do you think? Well, the, the, most of the records I uh, appreciated in the pandemic was to help me reconnect with uh, uh, what feels strong about uh, inside me. And that's not usually the music with lyrics or vocals. In fact, I, I sometimes uh, find it annoying when someone sings. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's maybe an autistic trait. I don't know. But... <laughs> So for I I needed uh, sounds uh, that would be musical, but also very much uh, like um, keeping me at my focus um, away from the world because I was stuck in a place uh, 
uh, where I didn't feel okay. And this was th th that kind of music was my, my es escape. And I was also finalizing uh, my album Artists Become Stepping Stones at the time. Mm. Uh, but this uh, album, I continued to listen to it after the pandemic also, which I think uh, influenced uh, part of Green uh, Drift um, with, with the use of the way they used the guitar in beat and the bass melodies um, influenced the Green Cathedral and Garden City. These pieces are uh, mostly guitar-based pieces a lot. Um, so it has much value for me, both with the influence, but also with the uh, focus and escape it's provided. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up those pieces actually on Green Drift because I really love the guitar on this record. It has, I think, I guess from my side, the commonality between that and the stuff on beat is, I mean, stuff you've kind of talked about already, but there's a liminality between it kind of sounds human played but also you're not really hearing too much of the plectrum attack it's sort of shed its connection to its maker and kind of stands on its own mm -hmm. it kind of just floats there which is a really beautiful thing like bowery electric do it in a way which i think is quite astonishing for a band working in the mid 90s i can't think of many people who are doing it like this but yeah, I mean, uh, again, totally unbiased, but that's why I really like reading your reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's very accurate. I can't put it that way. And also, yeah, early 90s, it's so timeless. Uh, this album yeah. is so timeless. And it's a lost classic, I think. It should be revealed, unearthed, and uh, played more. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed that uh, the same label who cre uh, released uh, the first album I listened uh, listed, uh, "Haunt Me," and um, by Tim Hecker, released this album, "Cranky" record label. That was oh wow, it's cranky. Yeah, Cranky released both of these albums, which I didn't notice until recently, to wow. be frank. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so I definitely will uh, dig more into their uh, catalogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a great reference for this. <laughs> yeah, Cranky's superb. Um, so could you tell me a bit, actually, about your guitar setup on Green Drift? Like... Is it being funneled through Max or using physical pedals? Like, yeah, how are you? How did you do that? Yeah, in this case, it was uh, my own effects on the soft software, completely mm. uh, on uh, Max for Live Ableton uh, for my own uh, delay, stutters, or feedback effects. Again, I was in Edinburgh to do a workshop, uh, but also to do a gig. So I traveled light there. I don't tend to use a pedal board. Hmm. Um, yeah, basically it was um, electric guitar uh, with a sound card, very basic setup. Nice. Um, and has your relationship with the guitar, say, changed as you've gone between records? Like, does it feel, I don't know, that you're at a different point when you're working on Green Drift compared to records prior in terms of how you relate to the guitar and what you want to do with it? 
No, I'm so happy uh, to be talking about the guitar, <laughs> not about the instrument. <laughs> Thank you. So, actually, um, my uh, approach to guitar uh, has evolved gradually over a decade, you know, because when I started, I was uh, focusing on rock music mm. as that young teenager trying to copy, you know, even... <laughs> shredders then <laughs> I, I really can't stand uh, listening to that stuff now shred, shred uh, based uh, music rather uh, jazz or you know simple uh, noise rock is better mm. anyway, so with, with, when I delved into the shoegaze and I uh, um, appreciated being able to change guitar change the sound of guitar more than uh, using the fretboard, the notes on the fretboard, you know. My focus has evolved more into changing the sounds, manipulating the sounds generated by guitar through software design tools or pedals, because Mm. then you feel unlimited. You reach a very big universe of sounds. And... That's a part of uh, Green Drift. But in the previous albums, I was using guitar with a a darker sound because that was my focus. That's uh, that was not a choice. It's just how it uh, evolved into how how it felt at the time. If you listen to my previous record, Mountains Become Stepping Stones, you may hear more of the black metal like guitars. And Mm. uh, I'm not talking about the. uh, heavy guitar playing, but rather uh, using it as a, you know, not like an ambient instrument, but more like a noisier instrument. Yeah. Uh, in a more powerful, heavier way. But in Green Drift, uh, there is a calmer playing uh, where I feel more at peace and um, taking it one step at a time, I would say. Mm. which is something I'm trying to do. And also all these three albums I listed have that kind of approach also, a gradual um, resolution into whatever the music becomes. So that's the that's how I uh, played it slowly. I've got one more question on beat, which is, I mean, you mentioned Under the Sun already as being one that, was particularly useful to you during the pandemic. Are there any other tracks on this record that, I mean, they are all great, but protrude for you as you think of the record now as being particular favourites? Uh, in the Burberry Electric album. Uh, yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I th- the, the ending tracks are very uh, ambient, but also I like... Tracks with uh, drums and empty words is definitely a classic for me in that sense. Mm, yeah. I would say empty words after under sun.
Elif, I've got one more question for you generally as, as well, which is obviously we talked a lot about listening to records. I'm intrigued as to how listening features in your life. Like, how do you tend to buy music? What kind of format? How do you tend to listen to music as well? So, yeah, maybe give me a bit of insight as to how listening to music features and, you know, purchasing music features in your day-to-day. Yeah. Um, since I moved here, I uh, started to collect some vinyls and they opened a new record shop in my town, which also already existed. A branch of it already existed in Stevenage. Um and uh, so I visited them immediately <laughs> to get to get an FX twin copy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> of course, you can't find selected ambient works part two. But anyway, that, that's become, that's becoming a thing. But my main uh, way is to buy uh, CDs. Uh, CDs are more affordable to produce and create, but also to buy. And the CD player is lovely. It still gives you a great sound. It's a high quality sound. Yeah. So I really appreciate having a CD collection. I couldn't bring all of them from Turkey, though. Um, <laughs> another thing is uh, I like listening to radios like Somaya FM. Uh, mm-hmm. This is um, a completely donation-based uh, online uh, radio. And you have a wide range of channels, but the key focus is electronica, eclectic jazz, or lots of ambient things, like Drone Zone is a great channel in that nice. sense. So those are the main things. Uh, I try not to <laughs> endorse uh, Spotify or other uh, streaming platforms. But uh, then again, uh, I try to appreciate what I can, what I have access to in, mm. on Bandcamp also. Basically, that's how it is. But I'm not a big uh, collector of uh, vinyls. No, same. I'm glad you brought up CDs though, because they yeah. seem to be getting more and more support recently i guess because of the vinyl manufacturing debacle and stuff cds seem to be having a bit of a revival which is great yeah that seems to be the way to go now it seems (laughs) nice so leave thank you so much i mean it's been great to hear about more about your record but these three records as well that you picked were all really really great so thank you uh thank you so much for inviting me and uh, for the awesome questions and the comments Thank you for the opportunity. And always great to talk to you. Yeah, and you. And to everyone listening, see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.